Well, what's going on? Hopefully you are surviving. Hopefully you have your power back on. I know when we start a new year, man, we want a new beginning. It just seems like 2020, 2021, it keeps giving into 2022. And so guys, thank you so much for staying faithful and probably having more self-control um, than I have. Um, we were supposed to start the building and all that stuff on the third. I have no idea when we're starting that. Like we have this historic snowstorm, like when we're supposed to start breaking ground. Anyway, please pray for me. I kind of lost it. Um, just, just kind of struggling like, man, God, what is going on? What story are you trying to write through us? Like, please tell me. I need to know. <laughs> um, but to his credit, he hasn't let me know. So we're going to stick forward. I'm sure he's writing an amazing story, and we're going to be part of that. Well, usually when we start a new year, um, man, we, we want a new beginning. And I was shoveling the driveway, and I heard uh, my friend came over, and we were talking, and and he talked about what he wants to do this year, you know, and he used the phrase, you do you, you know, that might not work for you, but hey, that's going to work for me, you do you, and this series is you do you with a question mark, because we're going to see what's at the bottom of you do you, and for many of you, you guys know uh, our culture at Southridge, for those who are regular attenders, you guys know that part of our culture is that we value holding up a mirror to ourselves and and evaluating what the mirror says versus what culture says. And we believe that mirror is God's word. It's the Bible. And so let's jump into today. Um, in our culture, man, we have access to so many assessments and profile tests to learn about ourselves. And the reason why is because we, we are intrigued about ourselves. Um, we want to learn about ourselves. We want to learn about our personality, our temperament, our spiritual gifts. And we all know that we're unique. We all do. We all know that we're unique. We have this internal desire uh, to discover more about ourselves, our uniqueness. And we all know that we're unique, but we don't know how we're unique. Let's, let's think about growing up. Uh, when we were kids, uh, we noticed that people were different than, than us, right? Their face, their body, their behavior, their abilities, their personalities. We knew they were different. Um, those we liked, those we really didn't like. And everyone we knew had issues, like the, everyone was different, and we, we appreciated people's differences. And we learned from books how unique we were. Um, how about this one? Today, you are you, and that's truer than true. There is no one alive that is youer than you, Dr. Seuss. How about this one? Maybe you remember this one. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. I am Popeye, the sailor man. You know, our kids are learning the same thing. How about this from a recent Disney movie? I'm bad, and that's good. I'll never be good, and that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me, because if that little kid likes me, how bad can I be? Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph. And then how about this one? You know, talking about identity and kind of figuring out who we are. Hi, I'm Olaf, and I like warm hugs. Uh, my daughter, she, that's, the, like, so that's the phrase, that's the line that she knows in that movie. Like as adults, things still haven't changed. So we think of these, the next two lines from these two songs. Don't hide yourself in regret, just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby, I was born this way. Yeah, Lady Gaga, born this way. And then, can't nobody tell me nothing, you can't tell me nothing, can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Old Town Road. 
that is the camp theme song. It seems like every for every eight year old, it's like you can't tell me nothing. Um, the pursuit of self discovery isn't a new thing. In fact, Socrates talked about it twenty five hundred years ago when he said, "To know thyself is the beginning of wisdom." See, discovering who you are and living that out is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Like we talked last week, man. None of us we know how exhausting it is to be somebody else. And none of us want to be somebody else. We're not trying to be anybody else. But the more we know ourselves, the more we can be ourselves. And we all know that we're unique. We have this internal desire to discover more about our uniqueness. Um, We all know that we're unique, but we don't know how we're unique. And for some of us, we're searching for that. How am I wired differently? And we're seeking the how. At the end of the day, we believe the how will make us happy and make us feel alive. And for some of us, man, we're looking at theories, we're looking at science. Some of us are going into different types of religions. Others, man, we're, we're looking at things that will promise us to, that we're going to feel alive, that we're going to feel happy, we're going to be happy. And at the end of the day, we just want to be happy, we want to feel alive. And that's why I believe the majority of us spend so much time in self-discovery. We want to feel alive. Quarterback Tom Brady has an answer, man, that just stuck with me. He was being interviewed in the 60 Minutes interview. And the interviewer said, what have you asked? What have you learned about yourself? And his response was, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. This is the pinnacle. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But for me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And what else is there for me? And so the interviewer asked him, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady looked at him and said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And I believe that there's some of you watching and listening. You want to know. You want to know how you are the way that you are. You want to know why you're wired, why you have this personality. And hope, and hopefully I'm going to convince you that, um, or maybe help you realize that, man, uh, there's a bigger purpose for you and for me. Fulfillment is what we crave. Happiness is what we chase. So we crave fulfillment, but the thing that we chase is happiness. And look, happiness is temporary. So we're chasing something that's not going to fulfill us. I mean, how many of us, we bought something thinking that it would make us happy. How long did it take? How long did it last? My daughter, when we go to whether Giant or Walmart, they have those Kinder Joys. And she's like, Daddy, please, please let me get a Kinder Joy. That is going to make me happy. I said, sure, it's going to make you happy. And then it's not really going to do anything for you. And so we, I, I'm usually the bad guy and say, baby, no. And, and you guys have heard me say this before. We're trying to do something in her, not necessarily something for her. So if she brings her own money, she can get her Kinder Joy. But we remind her when she's like, ah, that was the toy I got. I was like, oh, you're not so happy anymore. So we're trying to help her understand there's a difference between joy and happiness. But how many of us, I mean, we pursued relationships, not for them, but, but for ourselves. Like, so we wouldn't have to be alone. How many of us have done things so others would look at our direction? Like we, we would get noticed and then maybe, just maybe, they would applaud for us. Guys, when, when self-discovery doesn't make us feel fulfilled, we become even more focused on self-discovery 
which leads us even more focused on ourselves. And guys, self-focus leads to an empty path. You will feel more dead than alive on this path. And I'm convinced the how that we're looking for has very little to do with you and me. Very little. In fact, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is dealing with fulfillment struggles. So notice what Paul writes, and this is in 1 Corinthians 10. So if you have your Bible handy, we're going to put it up on the screen as well. But if you want to follow along, it's in 1 Corinthians. So it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. He writes, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. If Paul was writing today, perhaps he would use this type of language. You do you, but that might not be the right thing to do. Following your heart might not be as helpful as you think. See, the temptation is for us to desire complete autonomy. It's the kids. It's like kids who want to make their own decisions at seven. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like if we allow them to make their own decisions at seven, they become diabetics. Um, they would have no emotional or social intelligence. They stink for not taking baths and they would get lost trying to get out of their driveway. But that's what they want. But we all know that that's not beneficial for them. Look, God desires for you and me to have our best life possible. He knows that your best life, my best life, can't be lived if you and I are in charge of our lives. God desires for us to have our best possible life. And he knows that your best life can't be lived if you are in charge of your life. And we're going to see that Paul is shaping how we understand who we are. And it starts and it ends with God. Paul is helping us understand that having a relationship with God is not just about following rules. No, it's about coming alive. It's about being fulfilled. He writes, he says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So in other words, man, avoid doing what's best for you if it's not best for those around you. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. See, this is a theme with Jesus. Remember how Jesus would teach? He talked about the golden rule. And Jesus talked about loving one another. And Jesus used metaphors and he used parables. And what Paul does, he's going to use a parable as well. He's going to use a metaphor with food. So notice what he does. This is what Paul writes. He's using this metaphor with food. So that you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For, he quotes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you the meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Great question. So let me give you sort of the backstory. 
So in Jewish culture, there were dietary restrictions. Remember, a lot of the uh, first century Christians were Jewish and they became Christians. And they had dietary restrictions. And it was part of following God who desired for his people to be set apart from the people living in the region. But after the resurrection, man, those dietary restrictions, went, they were lifted, they went away. So if you show up at a friend's house and they were, savoring, they were serving bacon, you were free to eat it. Like God made it. But if you show up and someone is bothered because the pig was using a pagan sacrifice, choose to their benefit not to eat it, but then just, you know, take it to go. Notice what he writes. He says, for whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. He's like, look, everything we do, even as small as maybe not taking bacon or eating in front of someone, but taking it to go, it's for God's glory. He says, we want him to be known who he is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do, and what he will continue to promise to do. Because he's got, he's, he's made promises, and he's intended to keep those promises. Guys, that is living a life fulfilled. That is going to bring us joy. That is going to make us feel alive, green glory to God. He says, don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. He says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I just don't do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. See, guys, the attribute that I want to protect the most, and, I, and, and guys, I'm doing the, there's, there's times that I don't, I don't live up to even my own ideals. And the attribute that I want our church to protect is influence. Influence is like credibility. It's something that takes years to build, years to earn, but minutes to lose. And by doing things that cause other people to stumble away from Jesus, loses influence and loses our ability to show them a way of life that's alive and that's fulfilling. There's times where people will offer me a drink. Um, You'll never catch me having a drink, uh, especially in public. And it's because people have a different expectation of me. And is that fair? No, it's, it's not fair. But I have so many people in my life that I love dearly, and I don't want them to stumble. And if they saw me do that, it would create in their mind a license to do it again. And guys, if it could cause someone to stumble, it's not worth. It's not worth it. But maybe you can relate. Maybe there's, a, there, there's no social media post worth posting that may cause someone to stumble. There's no political post without a conversation worth causing somebody to stumble in their faith. There's nothing in this world worth causing a non-believer to walk away from a relationship with God through Jesus. And what Paul's doing, he's reinforcing what Jesus taught. People live somewhere forever. And Jesus gave his life for that. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. And Paul surrendered his life to Jesus and he was made alive and he did everything that he could to point people to Jesus because he wanted them to feel alive. He wanted them to feel fulfilled. Guys, each follower of Jesus, you, me, we've been called to do this, point people to Jesus. 
And we've all been given different platforms and personalities and gifts to do it. Guys, we've been made unique for God's purposes, not our own. You've been created unique for God's purposes, not yours. I've been made unique because of God's purposes, not my own. Notice what Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And one of the last things that Jesus said is, I want you guys to remember that God created you on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is to make me known all the world. To our neighbors, to the people we work with, to our family, to our friends. There was a keynote conference speaker speaking at the Passion Conference, and this was John Piper. And he's in front of thousands of students and young people, and he said this Three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Ellison, over 80, single all her life and a nurse. She poured her life for one thing. She poured out her life to make Jesus known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnered up with Ruby. She was also pushing 80 and was going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes gave way. They went over a cliff and they died instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s or almost in their 80s, a whole life devoted to one idea, making Jesus known to the poor and to the sick in the hardest places on the planet. And yet, their friends, their counterparts in America began to throw their lives away in Florida and New Mexico. And yet they went into an eternity in a moment, is this a tragedy? And he said, it is not a tragedy. And I'll read to you what a tragedy is. So he pulled out a page in front of all these students of Reader's Digest, and he read this to them. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot boat, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told the thousands of students. The American dream is come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells, see my shells. He says, this is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And he says, I get 40 minutes to tell you, don't buy it, don't waste your life. He says, don't waste your life. And then he read this line from the poem, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You have been made on purpose, for purpose, and with purpose. And God has a great purpose for you. He's wired you with your personality, your temperament, 
for his purpose, not for your own. And the same goes for me. God created me the way that he created me, not for my purpose, but for his purpose. And guys, at the end of the day, people ask me all the time, are you going to retire? And guys, I don't think I'll ever retire because I want to share the news with people that Jesus can change their life. And retirement's not a bad thing, but don't forget your purpose. Your purpose is cool as these seashells seashells are. This isn't your purpose. This is not your purpose. The way that we are fulfilled is by following Jesus and the way that Jesus wants us to follow him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's times where we are tempted to collect shells whether we just spend hours doing nothing and binge watching or we're doing things on our phones and we haven't picked up the Bible. We, we haven't even talked even with our own family about how Jesus has changed our life. Our kids don't even know what you've done in our lives. And so God, I ask that we would understand that the how is you. How is you? And I ask right now that you will help all of us, one for those who are yet followers of Jesus, to embrace you, to accept you as their Savior. Number two, I'm asking for those who are followers of Jesus. And I ask that they would stop collecting shells, but yet they would do everything they could to make you known. Lord, that brings us fulfillment. Sharing our story, sharing what you've done and, and how you've done it, I don't know. It brings joy. It brings fulfillment. So Father, please remind us of what our great purpose is. And our purpose is not for us. It's for you. So help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.